Hello, faithful listeners, and welcome to the Garden Statesman Podcast. I'm Mike. I'm Jeff. And I'm Mark. And today, towards the end of November, getting into December, we're going to talk about the Liver King, who is uh, one of our favorite social media peoples. We're going to be talking about the World Cup, uh, because that's going on, and it's going to be going on for another couple weeks. DoorDash laying off 1,250 workers, so yet another tech layoff. This one um, revealing how many people actually work at DoorDash, which seems massive. Yeah. Uh, We'll talk about some AI and uh, robots will kill us in the future. (laughs) Does that sound good, boys? Yeah, sounds great. Nice. So why doesn't someone tell me about the Liver King? Because, Jeff, I I know you're a fitness guy. I was wondering if you guys would know. I figured Mark would know who he was. But, Mike, do you know, like, have you heard of him before? Uh, I will tell you what. I've heard of him because I'm friends with you. Mm, Okay. And uh, so this is what I understand about the Liver King um, before having opened this article. The Liver King was, is some, uh, I think can be best described as a jabron. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. who, like, eats livers and believes, like, livers of animals, presumably. I don't know all kinds of animals or any specific animal. And there's some assumption Only as to human. the nutrient value of those <laughs> livers, and that makes him, like, super jacked. Yeah. Is that generally correct? It's Yeah, that's more or less it. He So he has this whole uh, ancestral lifestyle is what he calls it, and his whole thing is, mm-hmm. like, eat organ meats eat like you know most of it's meat for some reason i don't know why he doesn't like vegetables it seems like our prehistoric yeah. ancestors, my ancestors probably, were, were were hunters and gatherers yeah exactly so, but yeah so his whole thing is organ meats and for the most part honestly his everything he kind of says is probably a good thing to do like you know don't sleep with your cell phone and like eat mm. eat Liver is good for you. I don't think anyone would really dispute that. Now, it's not the tastiest thing in the world. But essentially, but he's jacked as fuck. Like, like almost, I mean, if you haven't seen pictures of him, just Google him. He looks like he has ab implants. They're, like, his abs are so pronounced. It's really ridiculous. And so the the whole thing was basically like, well, this guy's on steroids. I mean, he's just way too jacked to be a normal natural human being and he has denied it and denied it and denied it and like basically said this is what happens when you eat raw liver and testicles bull testicles (laughs) and like you know work out through twice a day in the sun with your shirt off he literally never wears a shirt like ever he's like it's it's very difficult to call somebody on that because no person is willing to do that (laughs) well let's test the theory give me some testicles just cut out the rest of my diet. <laughs> so, I mean, he's 44, I think, and he looks, I mean, he I, he looks like a bodybuilder. I'm flat out, he looks like a bodybuilder. So anyway, mm-hmm. uh, the funny part is he's been denying all of the steroid use, and he had sent emails to people, like notable YouTube people that like deal in the fitness community and steroids and everything else, asking about like, I'm taking all these steroids and I'm getting ready to launch this like uh, social media campaign. Um, what do you think I should do? And like those emails were out there. Like 
There was no, yeah, he, you know, he knew he knew that there were tons he knew of, he sent those emails people that he had asked, yeah, about steroids, yeah. But I don't think he probably assumed he would blow up the way he did. I mean, it's been less than a year since he first posted on Instagram, and he already has like two million followers or something. So he's better at marketing than I am. That's yeah, yeah, right. He's pretty good, but there you are but wearing my abs a shirt. Look like that? Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. you gotta gotta I start mean, eating some liver, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, think, I, think, I think that's a lesson to be learned here. <laughs> so Minimal. anyway, yeah. it turns out he takes steroids. Not super surprising news. Mm. Mm. The, so mm-hmm. I, I also think like part of the, the, the hook on this, right? If I could be wrong about this, but I, isn't he selling supplements that he's yeah. like, oh, if you if you can't like jump on the eat back of a deer, rip out its liver and like <laughs> and eat it for every meal, uh-huh. you can also just take my supplements. Right. And like I, I think that that's like the hook that they have for like and, him being the oh, liver yeah. king. Well, and that is so like he claims he's been like living this ancestral lifestyle. The story's not terrible. It's just like he's just a little too larger than life type thing where he's claiming a little too much. But it's like yeah, he sells. You know, I'm assuming a pretty good supplement for like you know it's effectively dried liver and it's probably good for you. But yeah, he's selling supplements and apparently making a hundred million dollars a year in revenue across whatever a handful of businesses that all kind of do the same thing. Um, and can but, we address the quantity of performance enhancing drugs he takes per month? Yeah, eleven thousand dollars. Oh my god! Wow. Yeah. I would read off the like the the quantities that he's talking about here. But I have no idea what any of this shit is. And the only way that you would is if you are a doctor that prescribes performance enhancing drugs or somebody who takes $11,000 of them a month. Yeah. If you want to know what your $130,000 in post money cash is getting you. Um, and he's taking $11,000 in only one thing in HGH, human growth hormone. The rest yeah. of them weren't even included in that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. In fact, the email that he wrote where he said he's taking $11,000 a month of human growth hormone, he's like, is there a reason I'm not seeing better results? Maybe it's because I'm taking all of this other shit. And he literally (laughs) gives a bullet pointed list of all this other ridiculous shit he's doing. So, the guy that kind of broke this is uh, he has a YouTube channel called More Plates, More Dates, which Mm. is also hilarious. But, uh, he's he knows his shit, and and he went through this and was like, he this guy's taking more stuff than professional bodybuilders I know who compete at like the highest levels. I don't even think they could afford to take that much of this stuff. Which I'd be yeah. pretty excited to see what the Liver King's liver looks like when they do his <laughs> so autopsy very soon. I would w- guess. Well, the follow up video, which I don't think's been published yet, is he has his blood work. The more plates, yeah. more dates guy has his has the Liver King's full on blood what? work, so he's going to go through it and tell you like how healthy this guy really is, which should be fascinating to fitness nerds like me. Yeah, anyway. very very exciting. It'd be funny if he mm-hmm. he just started selling steroids and became like more <laughs> successful than ever. He's just like That's buy steroids. Just- just totally lean into it, like yeah. yeah. It's like, well, this is this is what works. You want to look like me? This is here's the routine, guys. Liver mixed with HGH. You don't have to do it yourself. It's right here. We're not far it's from that world. I mean, we're decriminalizing things constantly. Um, I've been thinking about doing a podcast recently, not about 
like ultra fitness, but about how to repeatedly injure yourself in everyday tasks. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, just sleeping wrong and just destroying your shoulders. So you can't yeah. even pick up a gallon of milk. I love like it. That, I'm good at that. When my shoulder uh, really, really hurts and I'm like, what did I do? Oh, I slept. That's what mm-hmm. I did. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Throwing out your back because you sneezed while your back was twisted. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, uh-huh. I did a new one yesterday, um, <clears throat> which was really special. Jeff, do you know what a Beyblade is? I do not know what that is. Well, then you would not be allowed in Mark's son's club because <laughs> it's only for people who know what Beyblades are. But Beyblades are, it's effectively a manual, um, uh, what was that show that used to be on Comedy Central, like Bot Wars, where like, oh, yeah. you would have robots fight? It's basically that. It's a spinning top that comes in three parts, and you have like a, a thing called a ripper that spins it, okay. and then you you fight tops, and you huh. know the winner is the the last top standing, and the other one basically will explode. It's it's a lovely game, um, and it's all like there's a japanese animation show uh, about it on netflix it's great el drago um, destroy destructor yeah i'm yeah, looking at him it's there you truly go. amazing yeah. so um yesterday i blew out my elbow cuz i was pulling the ripper <laughs> to beat my son and just destroyed my elbow against the wall <laughs> just smashed the crap out of it right. like this morning could not fully extend my right arm what well, was it um, did you win though was it worth it uh, you know what? He, he, um, I would say forfeited that round because mm. his top didn't drop from his rip, oh. Ooh, but not that I noticed as I was just screaming. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that would be a good podcast. All the ways old men injure themselves. Yeah, we could do that. Well, just yeah. take eight more HGH and you'll be fine. I think speaking, speaking of old men injuring themselves, uh, there's a guy named Ronaldo who's playing in something called the World Cup right now. You guys mm. been watching that? I have been watching it more so than I expected to. Um, mm. So, but the my question more re- most recently was this France offsides thing. Did you see that thing? What I, was this France offsides thing? Tell me about it. So they scored. I think they yeah. scored with like a minute or two left. You know, in whatever extra time, whatever you call that. Um, yeah extended and, time yeah and i think they were i think Headed that time. was for a tire the win I, I can't remember but anyway they called him offsides and if you watch the replay look i don't really know what offsides is it's always confused mm-hmm. me i don't really think anyone knows what it is i think it's just a random coin flip but <laughs> this guy in my mind was not offsides and i was talking to my coworker who you know, was a college soccer player, and he was like, maybe I don't know what offsides is. <laughs> and he was talking to his friend who used to be on the U.S. national team, and he said, soccer sucks now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I will say, like, offsides uh, is, uh, it's I think, more straightforward, but it's kind of like the infield fly rule of baseball, where it's like, yeah, it's kind of a weird thing, and it's just like thing when it happens, people kind of disagree about what would happened with it all the time, and so like that was constant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's different for soccer because it's a much more pivotal part of the game, like particularly at the highest levels. Many of the goals that are scored are scored um, 
when somebody just times their run perfectly to go past the defense and a perfectly timed pass and the guy gets a sort of what a breakaway is what they call it where he's just him and the goalkeeper <clears throat> so basically what offsides the rule is is the effective rule is a little bit different but the rule is you cannot if you're a player on the team that has the ball you, you can't be past the last defender of the other team when your teammate passes you the ball. There's right. some other complications. Like you, It's okay to do that if you're in your own half of the field. Technically, you have to be... But when the ball <clears throat> is kicked, right? It's not... Yeah. When the ball's kicked. Right. So that's kind Which of makes And is incredibly difficult to call with the human eye because you have to see where a player is in reference to another player and at the same time see when a ball is kicked from a guy who could be 60 yards away right. on the other... Like, so it's like... This is, it's constantly been a problem. Like, there's always been uh, offsides that were missed, and like, um, and it, it's affected you know, like massive games, right? But people have just always accepted, well, this is just part of the game, and, and there's always going to be controversy around it. So then some genius said, uh, we have these things called cameras, and uh, technology is getting good. So why don't we just create like uh, a technology to deal with it? And so they call it, they created, basically instant replay it's called var uh so uh video assisted referee but it's a little bit more uh you know technologically advanced than just instant replay and a referee goes and watches something um they have sensors all over the field they have cameras that now in this world cup they've they've added even more technology i think that they check 23 different places on players bodies at all time it has changed how people real. This is, we're going way deeper than anybody gives a shit about this other than me. But <laughs> <laughs> it has changed how the game's actually been called because there are things where if anybody just stopped and looked at a video with a naked eye, they've been like, that guy's onside. He is 100% even with that defender. Mm-hmm. That's a goal. And then they look at it and it's like the fucking guy's heel is past another guy's elbow. Like, yeah, it, completely irrelevant parts of his body are like past the thing, and then they'll call offsides, I think and you're like, "What you, the fuck, man?" You should watch. Just Google France offsides right now and watch yeah. this video. It's. I don't even see how you can argue. There are four people closer to the goal than him. Someone else on the other team heads the ball that's closer to the goal than him, and somehow he's yeah. called offsides. It makes no yeah. sense. And they're calling Griezmann offside. Well, I don't think we'll solve this mystery while I'm watching this and podcasting, but I am going to watch it. The tu- the Tunisians seem upset. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it worked out for them. But yeah, it's just uh, weird. Oh, no. I think that was offside. Really? But oh, oh, the problem is that the defender headed it. Okay, so okay, so here's what happened. When the ball was kicked, Mm -hmm. he was like three, four yards offside. Sure. And then, um, as everyone backed up, and the defender headed the ball. Normally, what that would indicate is that you you can't be offsides off of like the defender hitting it. And so that would normally reset it. So I will 100% tell you, I don't understand how that wasn't, <laughs> how that's yeah. offsides. Yeah, you're not the only one. 
but there could be a rule that I don't understand about like defenders touching the ball versus like the guy's team. If the, his own teammate had headed the ball to him in that instance, then it should have not been. Let me maybe his teammates offside too. Nope, I don't fucking get it. Yeah, I don't fucking get it. I yeah. I, the answer is I have no clue. Okay. Um. So. It's okay. It's just the most important team in the most important tournament, and people who've played soccer all their lives have no clue. So <laughs> it's fine. It's, well, it's just so. Fine. Is it the most important team? What are the what teams should we be watching? The U.S. is playing Netherlands. I've heard that's not going to go well for us. Um. So I think that there's one more day, or maybe two more days of the opening round. So there's still like some crappy teams in the tournament, but we're getting to the point where. There's only good teams left, and so every game should be good. Um, But it's also getting to the point where because it's the last day in this round, it's like do-or-die games for everybody. So every game has – like today was interesting because the two the group that was playing today in the afternoon, it was Argentina playing against – I forget who, and then Mexico was playing – oh, it was Argentina-Poland, and then Mexico was playing Saudi Arabia. Mm Mm-hmm. There were so many tiebreakers in play that by the 75th minute, uh, the way that the the group was going to go was Argentina was going to win the group. Uh, Poland and Mexico had the same number of points from wins and ties. And so the first tiebreaker is goal differential. Like, have you scored more goals than you've let up? And what does that look like for your team versus the other team? They were tied on goal differential. The next tiebreaker is goals that you've scored. So if you have the same tied goal differential, but you've scored 10 goals, the other team scores eight, you go ahead. They were tied on that. Oh, shit. The, the next um, tiebreaker is called fair play, which is who has the least number of yellow cards over the last three okay. games, which is the <laughs> dumbest fucking thing. Like, who gives a shit at that point? But literally, like, Mexico was going to go out of the tournament because they had, like, an additional yellow card over the course of three games. So, it, but then it, the game just got crazy because they knew that they had to score or they were out for the last like 15 minutes of the game. And so they're just like throwing bodies at it. And it was like, you know, it was quite bonkers. So that, that was fun. Um, obviously who should you watch? You should watch the United States of America. They're going to play Saturday morning, <clears throat> 7 a.m. Pacific time uh, against the Netherlands, uh, also known as Holland. The guys can't even decide what their freaking country's called, so I don't know why they deserve to win a soccer game. <laughs> called them. Yeah, good point. And it's underwater. Calls the United States and America two things. Pretty sure it is. I yeah. don't understand. They, def- they How are they going to run in those wooden shoes? Makes no sense. <laughs> Makes no sense. That's a very good question. They're not very grippy. I know that. Well, maybe they got um, cleats on them, you know? Yeah. So I would say, like, who are the best teams? Um, the... You know, the traditional powerhouses that are still in this tournament are France, Argentina, Brazil, and England. Um, <clears throat> I would say of those teams, the ones that look the best right now has been France. And France has, like, even good teams. Like, the United States can hang with most good teams. All the, like, they, they're just, they're good enough. Like, there's a lot of parity if you're, like, uh, like in the top 15 in the world, like, Nobody's really getting blown out. But the difference between a France and the United States is the United States has nobody that is like a world-class striker that can just create a goal. 
France has like three of those guys. <laughs> uh, so nice. like there's just so much firepower on the front line uh, of that team. And they have good defenders and actually play real soccer. Like, you know, like Brazil, typically it's like, oh yeah, we got a bunch of guys who can do crazy stuff. And then we're like, wait a second, we have to stop the ball from going in our net too? <laughs> That's not really like what we like to do. That's not our style. Um, so... I think France is probably considered the team to beat in this tournament. They lost that game, but they lost that game today because they were sitting their best players because they didn't need to win. They had won their first two games by Uh, so much, and they had already advanced. So it's a little bit of a kind of uh, misdirection. Gotcha. I will say, uh, and Julian mentioned this on a previous podcast, there are a lot of documentaries about the World Cup that are out on the streaming services right now. And so one of them I watched, uh, and it was FIFA... um, uncovered and i have to say it really like as somebody who knows a lot of this stuff like it still like blew my mind and had me thinking about fifa as an organization completely differently right and so like everyone knows fifa is a corrupt garbage pile of an organization where people literally like just get handed envelopes with stacks of cash in them to to do things um but the the thing that became evident in this um documentary was like part of their problem is that their governance is so bad because they just weren't prepared to be a gigantic global organization um like they were created as you know there's a football association uh in france and england and there's a one that is in uh, uruguay and brazil and maybe we should have a tournament between all those teams and and that would be good and that was like that was like the 30s right and you know the, and then like the four and, that, and they were like oh you know what this soccer thing is getting popular. And all of a sudden, like as business started to advance and people, media rights, people figured out, you know what? Eyeballs are worth a lot of money. They, it just became like, oh, I'm this little thing. And now I'm generating like tens of billions of dollars. That fucking video game (laughs) is worth fucking hundreds of millions of dollars Mm -hmm. a year for sure. Um, But like the guy who first, who actually jumped in and, and like, maybe immediately corrupted FIFA was uh, the guy who founded Adidas like was like this fucking tournament's worth a shitload of money. These guys are idiots and have no idea what they're doing. A bunch of nonprofit morons. He's like, so he created a company that existed solely to purchase the media rights from FIFA. So FIFA like gave him like some un, you know, unlimited license and he just used it to promote the crap out of Adidas and sell TV rights around the world. And that lasted for a few years till like that guy got old and imploded. But he part of that is he just paid the president of FIFA like a million dollars a year. Just uh, straight cash. Here's a here's a million dollars, right? right. Um, and but the thing that was like really and that's like straight corruption, you know, or like, you know, uh, conflict of interest stuff, whatever, um, which is like that's not that interesting. People are corrupt, whatever. What was super interesting to me was there is just like true global power dynamics at play and so one of the things uh that exists within their structure is it's like one for who they vote on who's the president of fifa and the president of fifa has a lot of influence over who gets the world cup and and a variety of and how they spend their money and there's a lot of money right um so it turns out it's like one country one vote so you know who are the most important soccer nations france england brazil argentina Guess uh, which confederation has the most countries? Yeah. CONCACAF, which is the one that the United States is in, because there's like 
19 Caribbean countries, all that have like 14 people per country, right. but they all, they have the most votes. So some dude who is the, the head of CONCACAF from Trinidad and Tobago, really known for good governance and, mm-hmm. and straightforward management, is just like handing guys out envelopes and is, and is able to dictate who the president of FIFA is going to be. So then the president of FIFA is, he's not... The guy, Sepp Blatter, who was president of FIFA for, you know, 20-some years, he wasn't taking cash. At least nobody's ever proven that he's just taking cash money. But he was doling out FIFA's money to keep himself in power. So he would, like, go to Trinidad and Tobago. Here's a gift of FIFA of $2 million to develop your soccer in your country. And I have no means or desire to find out where this money goes or how it's spent. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, wow. like, the message repeatedly. Wow. Um, and then, like, because the money's worth so much money to the countries themselves, they're then trading on it. And so, like, uh, South Africa wanted the World Cup. They gave $10 million to Trinidad and Tobago uh, to for the African dysphoria in Trinidad and Tobago. Nobody's ever seen that money. Nobody. It's, it's history, right? Yeah. Um, and then... This was the biggest one that was crazy. Like the the guy who was the head of the French Federation when uh, Qatar was bidding for this World Cup, and it was like twelve or thirteen years ago when they actually won it. Um, he's this this guy said nobody ever told me to vote for Qatar. Nobody ever paid me money to vote for Qatar. But one day, uh, I get a call from Nicolas Sarkozy. And he says, "Come to the palace." And I come to the palace, and there's twenty Qatari guys there. And he's just like, I'd like to introduce you to all of my friends who are like really strong proponents of our relationship with France. And I think that you should support this relationship. And so he's like, it was very clear to me that he wanted me to vote for these guys. And I think that he knew that I was already going to vote for them anyway, because I felt like the Middle East was going to get it. So he just sold my vote to them, knowing that they were, it was going to get it anyway. And so after France voted for Qatar to get the World Cup, Qatar bought like billions of dollars of planes from Airbus, French company. <laughs> they Jeez. bought the uh, broadcasting rights to the French Professional League. They bought Paris Saint-Germain, the most famous club in Paris, and then just loaded money into it. And like like Messi, uh, Neymar, like some of the biggest stars in the world play for Paris Saint-Germain because Qatar just dumps money into it and sets it on fire. Wow. Um, and so, but there's gigantic global arms deals to facilitate getting a world, world cup, cup in your country That's because insane. it's like, yeah, that is insane. Bonkers. Bonkers. So that was what was super interesting to me about that. We've been talking about this for 30 minutes. I'm sorry. Guys, I went <laughs> off. It's all good. No, it is. It's crazy. I got to watch that. Cause I've heard it recommended like three or four times now. I got to watch that, but that is yeah. pretty bonkers. And, and it all makes sense too. That's the craziest part. It's like, yeah, like they've got money and they want a world cup to, put themselves on the main stage and yeah, everyone's and, and willing to go along with it. Why not? And Sepp Blatter, who I just thought was like the biggest piece of crap in the world. And, and you know, he's not a great person. Um, I actually ended up being somewhat at feelings of empathy for him and because he was definitely doing things that were conflicts of interest. And he was like paying people off with the organization's money for his own benefit and power, which you should not do, but he wasn't, didn't seem like it was anyone's ever proven that he's just taken money in cash. And he did do a lot of good things. He brought the world cup to Africa, which 
arguably was meaningful and equitable of like expanding the sport throughout the globe, which sure. is like consistent with the mission. He just had to do a lot of shitty schmarmy shit to get it done. <laughs> and like, what do you do with a nonprofit that prints cash? Like yeah. that has you no ownership structure. Yeah. And so like, to me, it's like, there's so much money coming in for this that they should just like, it should become part of like UNICEF or something. Yeah. Like that's the only way to like to, to to take the money and make sure it goes towards something that has like some value is like it needs a governance structure like the UN because otherwise you're never going to solve this problem. There's too much money and people will do stuff for it and you have a weird governance structure that you, it's very difficult to break. Well, what about what about this? What about maybe taking that money and sponsoring podcasters? Oh, that's actually you know, a good idea. Um, to talk about the World Cup and like how much we all love Qatar and how great of a country it is and how they definitely deserve it. And they didn't. And that's a break from all. our sponsor, the <laughs> Qatari government and BN, BIN Sports. I don't even know the name of the company, but it's the company that owns the French League One contract. Jeez. Yeah, Qatar is a great place to go unless you're homosexual. Or a woman, or like alcohol, uh, or a soccer <laughs> fan in the in and attempting to find a hotel room that's fully furnished. Um, you like it under those are the only degrees. reasons you wouldn't go there. Under a hundred <laughs> degrees, yeah. That's the other stuff. Is like, um, have you guys seen any of the vi- the videos of like what the the lodgings are like? Yeah, it's, no. it's like straight up fire festival uh, style accommodations. <laughs> yeah. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, it's like literally. You think the, they got him the to fan... organize it? What's his face? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> the fan zones are like just, I don't know, thousands of containers that, like, I mean, they look like nice containers. Uh, I get, like, I mean, but it is like, it's like, it would say glamping. It's all, it's glamping, like for two hundred dollars a night, and that's what you're getting in Qatar because it makes no sense to have the quantity of hotels that would actually be required to, to house 2 million people yeah. in a country whose total population is 3 million. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Also, I learned a lot about Qatar. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, from this documentary. Yeah. And, and just me Googling stuff. Mm. Um, 3 million people population. You know, guess how many citizens it's like 200,000. Half a million? Yeah. 300,000. Like, wow. like one-tenth of the people are actually citizens of Qatar. Well, that's what you know, our friend Sean used to say about, um, yeah. not <clears throat> Qatar, but what was the other one? Dubai. Saudi Arabia? Dubai. Dubai. Like, yeah. it was kind of like, they, they had, I guess, all these people from Asia and Africa, but I think mostly Asia, India, um, and they were like, they were definitely there was a tier system, and they just treated right. them like they were. This came up when we talked about people. that wall thing that in yeah. Saudi Arabia, right? Yeah, right. So yeah, it's weird, and I'm sure Qatar's the same way. But yeah. uh, geographic size, you guys know this because I typed it into a chat recently. Of Qatar is uh, 0.5 New Jerseys. Wow! In total land mass, I was going to say yeah. New Jersey because I remember that that comparison, yeah. but 0.5. You, yeah. Now is and it frankly, the good part? The quality Jersey, of that land. No, it's, it like I mean, it's Qatar. It's probably it's South Jersey. It's hot. It's gross. It's nothing good about it. It's basically like where the Jersey Devil lives in those Pinelands right. down there. Right. Yeah. yeah it's, it's near gar- Philly. Garbage. That's what you're saying. It's near Philly. Yeah. yeah. Gross. <laughs> gross. Ugh. 
right. <laughs> All right, that's enough World Cup <laughs> talk. Yeah, should we move on to DoorDash? Um, DoorDash is laying off 1,250 employees, uh, which is apparently 6% of their workforce. Um, the company said that growth has slowed and uh, DoorDash needs to cut costs. Operating expenses would outpace revenue if they didn't do these layoffs. So 6%. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's DoorDash. When has operating expenses not outpaced so, revenue? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well and, and this is like my bigger since inception, question. Yeah. It's not like surprising that DoorDash is laying off workers. I mean, I, all tech companies kind of are at this point, and DoorDash was yeah. never, in my opinion, going to be successful longer term. But it, it's sort of like, yeah, when this guy's like, oh, we grew too fast. It's like, you didn't. You didn't know that from before. Like, you have twenty one thousand yeah. employees. Twenty one now. DoorDash's whole thing is like Uber, right? Like the people that deliver the meal is not. Yeah, that's not an employee. <clears throat> does not include couriers. That's right. So um, they have twenty one thousand people building the app. Yeah, <laughs> like pro- product managers, the people building the app. They need. They do need people to uh, to recruit. Um, drivers and to recruit restaurants, things like that. Sure, they're expanding globally. Um, but but the point. So I th- yeah. I actually think they have they figured out the unit economics in their most established markets. But they've been in- investing aggressively to both expand geographically. So they did this acquisition of Walt, a company in uh, Europe, and then also expand the uh, categories that they're offering. So like expanding into grocery, expanding into pharmacy. Um, expanding into like general merchandise, um, and also doing things like the the uh, Dash Mart. So they have uh, like a convenience store, kind of like a GoPuff vertically integrated oh. convenience store, where they yeah. deli- deliver convenience items, and then just like corporate overhead engineers and stuff like that. Sure. Um, and I, I think it's it's basically the same issue that like tons of companies have dealt with, where uh, as a result of the pandemic, where like any company that had a big boost to their business from the pandemic, like face this challenge of forecasting, you know, what their business would look like in two years or two or three years. And like, they had a bunch of scenarios and one's like, all right, this kind of continues. And this is like accelerated the adoption of all these digital technologies and behaviors. And we're on this new trajectory Um, or at least like established a new base off of which we're going to continue to grow or like another scenario where like this is all one time boost and everybody's going back to the way it was. And I think like tons and tons of companies, the best companies in the world, like Amazon's alphabets, companies like that, um, got it wrong, hired too many people. Um, and I think DoorJest just like fits that mold where they hired too many people. They probably, you know invested too aggressively against some of these growth opportunities that they're going after. The stock has gotten mauled with like every other yeah. um, tech stock and every other company that's got benefited from the pandemic. And now they're facing pressure from investors and the board to do something about it. Um, and I think yeah. that's really so what it comes so down to. to your point, yeah. yeah. Publicly traded company, stocks gotten you know, kicked in the face like if i'm gonna look at like let me just pull up the chart real quick so on what doordash is i'm looking at it like. it's actually not yeah. even that bad relative so it's down 60 yeah. percent for the year but that's like i mean a lot of the big tech companies are i down love that that, that being much. down 60 percent for the year is is yeah <laughs> not that bad not that bad <laughs> but well but here's the well, other thing so if we go like truly like you know uh 
12 months plus two weeks. So 54 weeks ago, um, they were at $242 a share. Yeah. And now they're at 58. Yeah. So, it's not good. so they are down 80% over their like 12 months. Um, but Meta's down there's 65% this year. Yeah. I mean, in the regular universe, <laughs> not in the metaverse. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. And who cares yeah. about the regular universe? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's not where the future yeah. is. We don't really care about that. So my kind of view on this is, um, yeah, like... They this does seem like a company that should have, you know, um, benefited from the pandemic disproportionately. But it also seems like a restaurant that actually like or a company that hasn't gotten hit from the pullback as bad as others. There's actually well, it's not Peloton, right? I mean, well, the staying power of eating at home, like that trend, has actually held much stronger than I think what people would have anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, I. It, the, also, the fact that they've only cut 6%, <clears throat> either they're going to have to cut more later or this is an opportunistic way of appeasing some investors because the stock price is down and just saying, like, okay, you walk into any room with 100 people, six of them, you'd rather not be there. Um, and so, <laughs> like, that that sounds mean, but, like, yeah. um, one, it's an opportunistic like way to get Like 95 for people, me, but, like, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I would like to be the sixth that leave. <laughs> so, um, like, it's an opportunity great to get some of the people that you would have wanted to get rid of anyway, but also, like, to Mark's point, like, there you hire in one area that you're making it bad, it doesn't work, you want to shift, and so you take an opportunity to cut maybe uh, a, a risky business that you were going into. I, I want to read a little bit from what he posted when they announced this, uh, he being their CEO. Uh, DoorDash has always been a resilient company. For the first half of our history, we're constantly cash-starved and under-resourced compared to our peers. Today, we're the market leader and still in the early innings of uh, becoming a defining local commerce company globally. We've grown from one business, our U.S. restaurants marketplace business. So that would be like what you traditionally think of as DoorDash. You go to DoorDash and you order food from a restaurant and a dasher brings it to you. Uh, to now they have five businesses servicing 27 countries uh, across merchants in every category of local retail on both marketplace and platform. So like the things Mark mentioned, some of their other businesses, um, like they have they have drivers. So what can you do with all of these drivers? Can you deliver groceries and create your own micro fulfillment centers? That's one of the things that they that they're doing and they have a business right um, for which is a, a go puff like thing. They also have uh, by one <clears throat> measure almost 50% of the independent restaurants in the United States are on their platform. And so what are the, if you have the attention and the customer loyalty of 250,000 merchants, what are other ways that you can make money off of them is like a natural way to think about a growth trajectory in businesses. Um, And so I happen to know that they are interested in what else they can sell restaurants. Uh, and I won't speak more specifically about that. <laughs> partnering um, with other Dash for, related companies. Yeah. Uh, yeah in case in Dash one Dash related company <laughs> wants to partner with other Dash related companies and some conversations that may have happened um, uh, in that relationship. Um but they, they certainly have some ideas uh, that are aligned to our ideas of how to potentially grow revenue uh, inside of a $130 billion uh, market opportunity. Um, so 
the guys who run the company are smart. They had like burnt a bunch of money to develop uh, a really meaningful beachhead. And I think they're, they probably are doing it more profitably than uh, some other companies are. And now they're going to leverage those um, assets and competitive advantages to, to eventually turn profitable. Um, normally you would say if Sequoia has a lot of faith in you, that's a good sign. But, uh, in the last two weeks, that might not be the case with some yeah. cryptocurrencies. Um, you know, I know Sequoia are, is a huge believer in this founder who's still running the company and this business and, um, and where it can go. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, 6%. I think like they're just, you know, fixing the books a little bit and and ready to move forward more so than some other people who laid off half their staff and then had another half leave. I yeah, no, I have to say I'm generally pretty impressed with what they've been doing in terms of like I didn't think they were going to make it out of the pandemic. I thought, you know, or the the bubble time we were in. And mm-hmm. they seem to have. I mean, I I still think there's that's somewhat yet to be determined. We're kind of still in the aftermath of all the free money going away. But yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I would have, I would have bet Peloton did better okay. out coming out of the pandemic than them. Um, you know, people still theoretically work well, out. You know what home. the problem is with with Peloton is their bikes don't go anywhere, so it's just really hard to deliver the food. Like, it doesn't matter how hard their dashers, their, their bike couriers go. That's like they, they could be pumping their legs, yeah. but they're just the food never gets there. And there's no and place to eat cold. food while you're on the bike. There's no like Plus, tray. If you're eating it on the bike, the for the biker's not getting the results they're looking for. There's a million holes in this business. Yeah, it's a good you know? point. Like it's a good point. just falling apart <laughs> as we talk about it. And maybe yeah. they'll be using AI in the future. You know. Um. Alan Iverson? Alan Iverson, yeah. Maybe they'll be using Alan Iverson. Are we talking about practice? <laughs> well, so Mark, I put the, I don't know how much you want to talk about this yeah, uh, Twitter so thread you put in here. I, I'm as you guys know, I'm fascinated by AI. It's a topic that um I follow closely. Um and it seems like there are new developments like every every few weeks. Uh, and, and one of the questions, you know, I have is like, all right, how exactly is this going to impact our lives and businesses and the economy and things like that? And I think it's been, we've seen like glimpses of that from, uh, these generative AI companies that like produce images and you're like, oh, instead of working with a designer, you could just like type some stuff into AI, it'll spit out a bunch of stuff or these, um, large language models like, um, GPT-3 that will like generate text. Um, I think one of the most interesting applications is what this thread talks about where like, hey, we're getting close to a point where AI is going to be able to uh, have a meaningful impact on programming. So it's either going to be a complement to, and I think they already have tools like this that are like complements to uh, yeah. programmers and you like just run GitHub, I think one of them Copilot. Called co- co-pilot. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Um, where it just like makes you far more productive and it takes care of like, at this point, relatively mundane tasks, but it's developing very quickly to the point where like it could turn any person, not even with a background in coding, into a like superhuman level programmer or, or like the best programmer in the world. Yeah. Um, and that's like on the horizon. And that's what this thread was was talking about. Um, and if and you could get to a point where it's like, hey, you don't like hiring programmers is not a big constraint now. You can just use AI to build whatever you want. You just like describe it to it, just like you would describe a picture to 
Dolly, and it'll yeah. spit it out for you. It'll do it for you. Uh, and it's kind of amazing to to imagine like what would happen in that world. I mean, it'd make building products and services just like so much quicker and easier, and um, yeah. it would really it's I, pretty I think it would, insane. Yeah, it'd, it'd be a situation yeah. where it like really starts to have an impact on on the economy and and business uh, in, a, in a major. Well, way. and from from like a programmer's perspective, the people are seriously talking. Like Copilot's one thing where it comes up with actual code for you and. I from what I, I haven't used it, um, but from w- what I've seen in in Twitter and other places, people seem to really like it. And a lot of people, I think, get it for free because they're you know somehow they were an early adopter or they're an influencer or something. But they all seem to really like it, and it's not like it produces perfect code, but it produces good enough code. And like uh, yeah. one of the guys, actually a pretty serious guy. Uh, uh, Andre Carpathia, I think that's how you say his name or anyway, he was, I believe it's Vigo the Carpathia. (laughs) So he, he was the head AI, uh, person at Tesla for like a long time. And he just Mm. recently was interviewed by on the Lex Friedman podcast. Um, and he's like, I learned stuff from it. Like it would throw Mm. something up that I didn't know. Like I didn't know that that was a function and I would go look it up, and it would be the thing that I actually wanted, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And he's like, "It's well, what it's really good for, yeah. though, is like iterative. So you're doing variable one, variable two, and it'll just complete however many yeah. you want. And it's like autocomplete on an email, right? And yeah. But for code, yeah. But, but the I think the more sort of interesting part about this, the whole AI thing is like, really, you're going to get into the point where people aren't really coders anymore. They're AI sort of knob turners. Like Mm -hmm. they're going to be specialized and like you can, you can approach that from a, this is amazing and we'll do amazing things for us. Or like, this is just, okay, so we used to have the guy that drove the horse and carriage and now we have the guy that drives the bus and it's that many more people and it's better, but it's yeah. not that much different. And I think so that's somewhat true, but the productivity yeah. is just going to be astounding. Cause here's you, the positive thing I think about that. And here's like the, I don't really know what this, this is a potentially unintended consequence that will make, make us turn all into human batteries in the matrix. Um, <laughs> So and that's a negative the, thing. I don't know. I mean, it could, <laughs> whatever. Like, if you're sleeping all day, I that's kind of appealing yeah. in some respects. Lady in the red dress. Um, yeah. So, like, I don't know if this me describing this is going to make a lot of sense to people who um, <clears throat> aren't programmers or don't build stuff. But like, when you're part of the thing that AI can solve, like to, to the example that Jeff said, where like this guy who's a super experienced programmer, he's like, oh, I didn't even know that this function existed, right? Like when you want to build something, right? If you want to build um, <clears throat> like something where you, like Facebook, you, you, people can submit photos and you put them into a scroll or whatever. Like that, you don't just say, all right, well, here, I just built it. It's like, you have to think about, well, what are the components that would make this and how to like, what are the subcomponents and like, what are the things that I would have to build that would build up to it the same way that a building has 
screws and rivets and beams and wood and you need to like but like when you're a programmer you need to build like there's not you don't just go grab a rivet like you build the rivet um or if there's something that you take that's pre-built it's called a function that has like all this stuff around so like you just sew together all these functions the same way that you would sew together all of this wood and build a frame to build this house there's so much shit out there that it's impossible for one human to know what's the best thing for me to move in any particular time or way. Like AI can solve all that because a human being doesn't need to keep it all in their head or, or have a perfect search. AI can be like, this is the thing that, that works best in this tool. And then all of a sudden, like all of the components that you need to build the thing pull together in 10 or a hundred or a thousand times faster than it would take you to search for whatever would be the best component or function to solve this problem. Right. Um, so that's pretty cool that AI can do that. And you can see the applications like beyond coding where anything with it's complex, where, um, humans would have to curate it like, Hey, these are the options that are the best options. Um, because there's just too many options in the universe for you to possibly know about in food, for example, um, like restaurant supply, which is what my Always company comes back is to food. With you. Well, it just, this is, it comes back to the things that I happen to know a little about, or I can pretend to know a little about. Um, there's, over a million individual products inside of uh, uh, restaurant supply and all different prices everywhere. Like you have an AI engine. It's like, hey, you who sells fucking white cheddar cheese in five pound blocks? It'll find it in four seconds, mm -hmm. uh, even because it just has enough. It has a big enough like database of information. Um, you don't have to worry about any search terms or anything of this kind of stuff. Um, and the thing that concerns me about it is if you get certain dominant AI engines, like there is an element of accidental discovery that exists when you have diversity and different approaches to these things going in. If you get a dominant AI engine, I don't think diversity or accidental discovery is something that is innate into AI. It doesn't mean that it can't be built into it, but... Um, yeah, I, can see I, I get concerned about one that. central brain as opposed to um, thousands of independent brains accidentally discovering things. Well, you could have that, though. You could have thousands of independent AI, you know, whatever, models. Um, you, you could, but then you're basically programming in accidents or things that are purposely elevating stuff that would be less good than what it thinks is optimal. Well, and maybe that is because well, no, they do that build in it, discovery. Yeah. I mean, I do. I think the, the beauty of AI is the randomness of it. Like it gets, it gets, well, I mean, look at the, I think a good example of this is the image stuff, right? So I was playing with, there's a bunch of these image generation models. So Dolly is mm -hmm. one, uh, stable diffusion is one. There's another one I'm forgetting the name of, but stable diffusion is a open source one. So I was playing with it just to see if I could get it running on my computer and kind of see if I could do something with it. And like, I get the concept, you know, like you see, Oh, people can generate images. Okay. Like that's cool. And that's interesting. But then doing it like actually like typing in like whatever rabbit with a, Indian headdress on and like it <laughs> right. it kicks out 30 images and like they're not all totally right but they're really good and they're some of them 
I liked better than what I actually put in there. And it was it was kind of mind-blowing to see this sort of happen in front of your eyes. And for it to create, you know, 60 random images that were all sort of on topic. And I kind of think that's really the beauty of it. Like, you couldn't get a human, or you could only get a human to come up with 60 things that are sort of what you want, close but not specific. You couldn't before get a computer to do that. And now you can... Mm. So I don't know. I don't. I don't necessarily think. I, I guess to, in your to your point, like I think the 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 threat there is more that these models take millions and millions of dollars. Like GTT, GT, GPT three costs like millions of dollars to train that thing. Like, mm. ju- and just on GPU time alone, you're just paying Amazon or Google or whoever millions of dollars. So like we couldn't create one of that scale. And maybe that changes in the future, but what's that? Speak for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Well, yeah. Also, if you you use, uh, so I used um, the OpenAI language model, which I, yeah, I guess it's, I guess it's GPT-3. And uh, there's like a- That might be a different one, OpenAI. Parameter that you can adjust- for Mike, exactly what you're talking about. If you want like uh, different answers, uh, you just like toggle this switch and it like adjusts the model or whatever this parameter to like give you more variance in the the results that it comes up with. Um, so there are ways mm. to do that that are just like plugged into the model, like a, an inherent part of the model that you can you can toy with. That like you wouldn't necessarily get the same thing every single time unless that's what you wanted. Yeah, I think the scary part is kind of that nobody really knows what it's doing, you know, like, and that is kind of where hum- we as humans sort of don't, aren't super comfortable. Like it's, you know, in with like generating art or generating like words, okay, whatever. I mean, how bad could it be? Although if people are now doing like full blog posts with this stuff, which is possible right now, um, then it gets to be like a gray area where it's like, okay, now you're influencing people with this thing that is just doing stuff that you're not like, you couldn't really yeah. point it in an exact direction. You're kind of just pointing it over there. I have one that I've used called Jasper AI that um, you give it prompts and it'll generate um like whatever I could write a sentence and then it would generate a, a sentence that is similar to that, but just snazzier. And I'm like, it's fucking annoying how much better it is at <laughs> writing um, like influential marketing sounding copy for um, selling a product. It It's, it's really good. Hmm. It doesn't actually save me time because there's a lot of things I need to consider about what I want to say, but it, it improves the thing that I write. Well, kind of the same thing with the code, right? It's like, it's like, oh, that's a good idea. Like, I didn't know that existed, or I didn't think of that, and I could add that in type mm-hmm. type things. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, yeah. Jasper AI. And, and the thing oh. is, like, all this stuff is just the most uh, basic version, like the first most basic version. Like, I, I think over the coming years, it's going to just improve dramatically. In fact, uh, GPT-4 is coming out early next year. And, and supposedly mm-hmm. it's like a orders of magnitude improvement over GPT-3 to such an extent that 
this one um, AI researcher who I follow on Twitter was like, is this going to be a supercoder like program? Is this going to be able to do like super coding at like some crazy super level? Yeah. Um, well, and that's, and that's not even factoring in like bigger breakthroughs that we're going to probably have within the next five years. Like GT, GPT-3, the big breakthrough I think was this transformer model, which is somewhat, I don't know, it's an AI thing, but like it was a big deal. Like it, like it was a step function up and we're probably going to hit a couple more of those in the next five to 10 years. And it is, I agree with you, Mark. Like I, I just, it's going to be insane. Like the things so that I've have got, happened in the I've got year. dream studio open right now. What should, what sort of picture should AI build for me? Dream a studio. Large man sitting on a bed. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Infernal heights. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Uh, all right. Well, hipster podcasting in Bernal Heights, San Francisco, wearing a beanie. The, at, where was the. I had a. Uh, Oh, it's just a video of me. That's weird. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, it is actually... So it basically pulled up a picture of a guy with a beard wearing a beanie hat <clears throat> on a hill that looks damn close to the hill on Bernal Heights. Yeah. So it's kind of scary. So if you want... Uh, if you really want to waste a bunch of time, uh, openart.ai gives you examples of prompts to give to... Stable Diffusion, Dolly, and Midjourney. Um, and there's just like, you can just search for whatever you want. Like, there's just a bunch of random shit. I'm looking at some cat wearing a tuxedo. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's nuts. It really, uh, it's just nuts. And like, it's one of those things where, like, yeah, this isn't going to replace artists, but it kind of can in some scenarios right like if you're just generating ideas you just have this do it you don't need someone to draw you 10 versions of anything you just have this thing do it instantly and then you then you hire the artist to like okay make this into a character or make it this or make it that but it's pretty crazy mm. it really is and i think you're right the Mark, liver king just... wrestling a polar bear as an oil painting didn't really give very good results well, sadly so jeff to your point when, when I came up with the logo for my firm and just like the whole design package, I, I used 99designs, which they basically use designers in low-cost countries. It's much cheaper. I mean, you could totally see in a very short period of time someone coming out with a AI version of 99designs where like hey, you need a corporate logo and letterhead and a business card, like type it in, describe it, and AI generates you, you know, a bunch of different copies you just have use preferences and all of a sudden you got your everything set up um yeah correct me if i'm wrong mark but the uh uh logo on your hedge fund is a sailboat yes it's a ga galleon specifically yeah S yeah Sa sailing is not popular with rich guys so, <laughs> um pretty sure a low level ai could have could have figured that one yeah, out. yeah i don't love it <laughs> Um, no, I've, I've told you guys this before, but the name of the lead investor in my company, his firm is called 12 Below, uh, which is a nautical sailing term about like the horizon at, at um, sunrise. It's, nice. Yeah. 
Rich guys like sailing. Yeah, <laughs> they do. Um, no, but I, Mark, you're right. Like, and like, well, that's that. I think that's the craziest part to me is those things did exist. You know, even two years ago, two or three. I forget when I was trying to come up with logos, but there was like AI or like auto-generated logos, but they were all shitty. Like they right. were all like a triangle and your logo, like in different versions of shapes and your the yeah. word that you put like your company slogan. Now, I mean, just a couple years later, and you could have like a whole scene on your website drawn by AI. And it's just like, it's it's bonkers. I think you're right though. I think this is just gonna get more and more crazy as time goes on. Yeah, and so I, oh, I'm just what? gonna fin- finish with one thought. I don't mean to extend this uh, too much more, but. I also read this book recently. It's called uh, Super Intelligence. And like the whole idea of the book is like, actually, we need to think a lot about AI and like what we're going to do when we have super intelligent AI, something that's like far, far more intelligent than a human. And like one of the points is we need to think about it now because once we get AI, artificial general intelligence, like intelligence that's as smart as a human, there's a good chance that we'll have super intelligence like very, very shortly after that. And the idea is that if we if AI can work to improve AI, you get this uh, exponential acceleration where like as AI, if you have AI equal to a human, you could have like millions of AI working to improve AI. And then as it improves a little bit. I believe what you're referring to is uh, called a hellscape. Mark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hellscape. Well, well, that's the thing. It's like, after reading that book, I'm like more of the of the thinking that we get to some a, a world that is very very different from the one we live in in a much shorter period of time. Like that that's been like my the progression in my thinking. The deeper I've dived mm-hmm. into this area is that like the time horizon is going to be shorter and the change is going to be more dramatic. And once we do have like super intelligent AI, which for all we know could happen before the end of the century. Like the world is going to be completely different than what it yeah. is today. It's like infinite acceleration. Yeah. Yeah. So I think about that, like I think about what are the things that are drags on <clears throat> innovation, production, uh, <clears throat> reduced cost, right? And even just like if we figure out um, how to generate usable energy from this like there's plenty of usable energy in the sun we just figure out how to capture it and move it around better like the cost of a lot of things goes pretty darn close to zero pretty fast um think about how much we i mean energy is everything right and right now we have to dig it out of the ground and chip it around if everyone just has solar panels and batteries it's all free yeah it's great yeah it's crazy lunatics who invade countries and hold the world hostage suddenly have a lot less power um Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. it's it becomes a different world i will say i do think there are some breaks on the infinite expansion of ai in that you do need physical um substrate to run them on and so like that's somewhat at this point limited to our capacity to build those things. But then like, even with AI, maybe accelerating that you're still limited. You still got to dig that shit out of the ground. You still got to make the silicon. You still got to 
do all this stuff. So there is some break on the complete infinite expansion into Hellscape. Um, <laughs> and I honestly, my my view on it, honestly, though, is at least for the foreseeable future, like AI doesn't have, like humans have like the reasoning, the cognitive ability to reason and to like do things. And we have the reptile brain that like wants things. AI doesn't have that. Like it doesn't want anything and it doesn't even really have a, like if we build it right, it doesn't have a reason to want anything. Like it doesn't want to have sex and it doesn't want to get rich and be on a boat. It doesn't, it just does. It just has the reasoning part. Do you want to live in a world where AI does not want Taylor Swift tickets? (laughs) I can't conceptualize okay. that that would be so possible it doesn't i didn't say taylor swift tickets it definitely wants okay. taylor swift tickets <laughs> it doesn't want those other things <laughs> so but, so jeff to your point like it doesn't have those motivations but one of the points that this book super intelligence gets into is that like it's actually very hard to specify what you want the ai to do in a way that there could not be unintended consequences and like one example is like sure all right you tell it to be like make humans happy it could interpret that as like implanting electrodes in our brains to like make us smile all the time. (laughs) That's all it wants to do. And it does that to everybody. And it's like, yes, I did it. Um, Well, yeah, but so the paperclip example is the, exactly. Yeah. Is the big one, right? Yeah. Right. Where you tell it to make as many paperclips as it it can, and it destroys the world to make more paperclips. But if you're arguing that like, super intelligence is going to do that well that's not a thing super intelligence would do. like if it's that smart it would figure that out yeah i don't know i mean obviously we're talking unknowns here but i just don't think this whole i don't know i think the the hellscape scenario is a little overblown i think it's more going to be a tool for us for the foreseeable future it's probably like agi artificial general intelligence maybe further off than we think and it might even not be what we think like we're all assuming it's like a human that's just smarter and has its own agenda and i'm not sure that's the greatest analogy i don't know yeah no i i, I agree we'll, with that i think it'll be alien like in terms of it will not be like a just someone that is incredibly smarter than than everybody else um right but the so the one the most recent survey i saw was that and this was of AI researchers, they said, I think 50% chance by 2050 that we would have AGI and something like 80% by the end of the century, which was sooner than I had thought. When I read, I mentioned this book on the podcast previously, it's like AI 2041 by Kai-Fu Lee. So he's like this big um, renowned expert in AI. And I think he had said something like in like 200 years, he thought it was 200 or 300 years, he thought we would have it. Um, 50% by 2050, I, I was surprised by, I was like, that's, you know, obviously hopefully within my time, <laughs> within my lifetime. Um, yeah, that's, that is surprising. And the, the people, well, I think it's still pretty debatable. Uh, well, I guess 50% or whatever, but the people that I've been listening to, you know, research, like podcasts from like AI researchers and stuff, like some of they're still debating whether it's even doable and like whether AGI is a thing even like, like is are humans, you know, 
we're always holding up humans as like the example of general intelligence, but are we even general intelligence? Like, you know, if you take a bus driver, they're good at driving a bus and you say, okay, fly this plane. Like they can't do it. Yeah. They could learn to do it over a long period of time. But like, I don't know that it's, I think it's a big unknown, obviously. And I would be shocked if it happens in the next 20 years or 30 years, but we'll see. Well, now I have an 11 chapter Wikipedia article on AGI to read. Thank you, jerks. <laughs> Artificial general intelligence. But it's, should we, it's uh, okay. should we move to recommendations? Well, I just, I do want to mention that it's all okay because San Francisco is going to put that in killer robots and they're, that's, yeah, legalize that'll that. be fine. That'll be fine. <laughs> that'll be fine. Do you think that there are robots that aren't killers? Mm. Well, didn't they say, don't worry, it won't, there won't be guns on those robots? There'll only be explosives or something like that? <laughs> okay. Makes me feel yeah, good. that sounds better. Jesus, yeah. It's Christmas. Recommendations? Um, yeah. What do you got? I got uh, Ari Shafir's new stand-up special, uh, free on YouTube. It's called Jew, because he's Jewish. Mm. Um, Makes sense. He trained, I don't know if you guys have heard of Ari Shafir. I only know him through the Rogan podcast, but uh, I, I don't think I've ever loved his stand-up before, but this special is really good, like really, really good. And it's free on YouTube, so there's no reason not to check it out. There you go. I'm going to reiterate my mid-podcast recommendation of FIFA Uncovered on Netflix. Um Brings up some interesting questions on what do you do with a nonprofit that uh, pulls in a few billion a year? Dole out and bribes. I'm drawing a blank on recommendations, guys. I thought I could think of one while you how guys about, were giving yours, but how I'm, about, uh, I'm striking out here. Well, you're pretty quick. Super <laughs> Intelligence, the book Super Intelligence so yes. by Nick Bostrom. You, you, think, you, you would think I rec- would recommend that, but I actually did not love the book overall as a book. Like Some of the concepts were interesting, but not for a book. And and the reason for that is like it's it's entirely hypothetical. It's like one guy just like going off on kind of a stream of consciousness about or it, it's organized. It's not like a stream of consciousness. That's not the right way to describe it. But it's like it's something. It's like thoughts that could solely exist in his head. There's no evidence or like research papers. He's just like going through one big thought experiment on what's so going to happen. It's like talking to Julian. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's like and so I, I found it. I found it kind of like. I, I was like, you know, I, w- I wasn't drawn in by it. I was like, all right, well, this is what one guy thinks. And these are some, some of these are like interesting thoughts and perspectives, but it could have been like an article as opposed to like a 400 page book or whatever it is. And mm. I actually, I, I started skimming over it for that reason. So I didn't like read it cover to cover. I was like, all right, like, let's move, let's wrap this up. Well, so I've got mm. a, do you guys use Blinkist at all? I've heard of it. I actually don't even know. I'm familiar with this concept. Yeah. So it's kind of that. I mean, that's my complaint about a lot of books is like, especially like finance books and Nassim Taleb. I'm like, okay, buddy, I got it in the first 50 pages. Like you didn't need to write 400 more. Um, And it's, what's the guy with the glasses, Seth Godin, you know what I'm talking about? The marketing guru. Yes. So he used to work in book publishing, and one of the things he likes to say is the dirty secret of uh, nonfiction is that every single book can be explained in 10-page summary. It's like this could be a magazine, like a longer magazine article, and then it might even be too long. But And like Nassim Taleb, I kind of choose specifically because I think he's got some really awesome points, but he 
he explains them and then he explains them again and then he explains them again and you're like, okay, I got it. But Blinkist Mm. apparently is basically a cliff note for audio. So, or an Mm. audiobook cliff note version of these books. And I, I just wonder, I have Audible and I like that for the most part, but again, it's like, I don't know, sometimes I'm just like, all right, I'm, I want to read the rest of this because I'm thinking maybe there'll be something interesting, but I also don't because there probably won't. And Blinkist apparently is good. I've just never used it, which is why I was asking. So you can see consume so much audio media. Yeah, I do. It is just insane <laughs> to me. <laughs> it's the best way to consume all media. Well, not all, but I walk to work for. So yeah. that's an hour a day that I can listen to books as opposed to read. Um, yeah. Cooking, like during, when you're cooking, when you're, I mean, I also don't have two kids, so like you two, so mm-hmm. like, you know, there's not that. It's like, if I'm here alone. So you're not listening to uh, Pikachu, the Pokemon song <laughs> four times a day? I'm usually not. It's only that's like weird. two or three. Um, <laughs> that's weird. But like working out, I mean. It's just something you can always have on, and it is an easy way to... My problem now is is the dilemma between podcasts, because a lot of these podcasts are getting to be two, three hours long that I listen to. Like, who, Huberman Lab? <laughs> who would do that? <laughs> Huberman <laughs> Lab? <laughs> well, we, we've been pretty good on this one, actually, keeping it to an yeah. hour. Um, but I, I don't know. It's like, there's just a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to listen to. All right. Well, well, let's cut it off at that, given that we're an hour 18. Yep. You're welcome, Greco. We got some bonus minutes in for you this week. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy it on your Christmas uh, flights. All right, guys. Good one. Bye. Bye.